Welcome to Change Making Women, the podcast for women who make a difference. With Siada Bade in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, and Marianne Clements in London, in the UK. So, hi, and welcome to Change Making Women. I'm, I'm here with Ziada. Hi, Ziada. Hi, Marianne. How are you? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm good. So, like today, I'm not in, in Dar es Salaam. I'm in Serengeti, um, mm-hmm. the national park. Yeah, um, in a campsite. I'm doing a project, um, a travel project. So, this is where I am. And luckily, they're nice enough to, the camps are nice enough to offer us some Wi-Fi. <laughs> cool. And so we're we going to forgive and some you. some solar lights and everything. So cool. cool. And we're going to forgive Please do forgive me if it, if, if it breaks. Yeah. 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 yeah because yeah. nothing else works here aside from this Wi-Fi. <laughs> okay. Cool. So, so this is exciting. So podcasting from London in the UK and, uh, Serengeti National Park in Tanzania and we've got a guest with us who's also yeah. I think in London but she'll confirm for us so we're here with Holiday Phillips today and Holiday be yeah great to know where you are I think you're in London right? I'm in London yeah I'm in North London. So welcome to Change Making Women and um, it'd be really great if you could say a bit about who you are like and your and your work in the world I'm going to talk about a bit today but it would be great if you could introduce something about yourself yeah of course thank you for having me so I I do a lot of different things so I've been as I've been having more of these conversations I've been trying to work out how I can condense it to and condense it to a couple of sentences so I I give you the best that I've got to so so far um so I'm a sociologist. I was a social researcher first, um, and I am a writer and a speaker on largely on topics of society and culture and personal transformation. And then I also run a consultancy business with my partner, like my life partner and my business partner, um, where we work with organisations and help them around leadership and also diversity and inclusion. So I've got like quite a lot of different threads going on, but I, I always, or I've kind of got to in my own mind to understand that all of the different things I do are really in service of, of trying to build a wiser and kinder world. So I'm, whether it's in my academic work or with organizations, I'm always exploring a wide range of topics like nonviolent communication or integral solutions to racial inequality or new economic models and all of these kind of things um but really the thing I always come back to is how can we be wiser and how can we be kinder cool that's really um that's a really nice way of yeah I love that the way you're describing your your work and um I wanted like you and I have known each other for a little bit so I I and I wanted to us to have a talk with you on change making women partly because you recently wrote an article um called performative allyship is deadly and then here's what to do instead and it went viral right yeah 
Yeah. And um, we wanted to talk about the article and then also about the experience of, of, of your article going viral. So maybe we should talk, talk, start with a bit about what's in the article for people listening, people that might not have read it yet. Um, and just a bit about what maybe you could tell us a bit about what performative allyship is about. Um, for anyone who hasn't already picked your article, although I see like thousands and hundreds of thousands of people have read it, but for those that haven't. <laughs> yeah, of course. So um, I guess the context for the article was, I actually wrote it back in, maybe in the beginning of, of May, I think it was, and it was after the killing of Ahmed Arbery um, in Georgia. And I... And I, I had noticed on social media, and this was before the this great awakening that has happened with regards to race following the killing of George Floyd, but there was a kind of spike in um, focus on race on social media um, and the kind of hashtags of justice for Ahmad and um, uh, like those kind of Black Lives Matter was coming back again in a kind of resurgence from the last time. And um, what I noticed was a lot of posting from people who I've never heard talk about race before. Um, a lot of white people, white women, specifically influencers, celebrities, kind of doing this hashtag. Um, and then immediately following one post would be back to posting their normal day-to-day -day, uh, content. And then in the comments, there'd be a whole load of approval from their followers saying, oh, thank you for posting this. It's so courageous, so brave, et cetera, et cetera. And so as I was witnessing this, I found this kind of uh, anger really emerge within me because I didn't doubt that the intention of the people posting was good and, and um, heartfelt, mm -hmm. but I, had this sense of why are you talking about it now and how are you talking about it at such a shallow level that you're comfortable then going back to your regular order of service straight afterwards so mm. I wrote this um I just went onto my medium page which at that point I think had four followers one of whom <laughs> one of whom was a bot and I think the other two were my parents or a friend of mine um, and I just wrote this piece about performative allyship and and what I framed as performative allyship was um when people um purport to be allies in a way that either doesn't help the cause they're saying they want to help or actively harms it and the point I was trying to make was that doing like a hashtag on social media isn't harmful in itself but it's harmful because it excuses people from actually doing the real and hard work of dismantling oppressive systems like racism um, by feeling that they've kind of done their bit or done the check, the checkbox, and then they can move on. Um, and it really denigrates the whole idea of activism because it involves no personal sacrifice whatsoever. So I kind of set that out in as non-judgmental way as I possibly could, because I know that I myself am also guilty of it in different topics. Like I think I said at the beginning of the article that, you know, I identify as someone who doesn't eat animal-based products most of the time. And I can definitely talk about how I've, you know, I've talked online even about how awful I think factory farming is, but, you know, occasionally if I'm abroad or something, I'll eat, um, 
meat or cheese even and you know I'm not shouting about that on social media so I I definitely put myself in the in the problem and and didn't didn't say you know there's good people and there's bad people um and I kind of went on to say well if you truly want to be an ally in the quest for racial equity like here are some real and practical things that you can do instead so that was like the body of the article and then it just stayed it had had been viewed by 50 or 60 people or something like that and then after the killing of George Floyd it took on a certain virality and me and my partner were looking at it we'd wake up and be like oh it's a thousand people have viewed it or ten thousand a hundred thousand and then before we knew it it was a million people had read it so it was a very very strange experience <laughs> to be honest uh-huh and uh yeah so uh, there's a couple of things that um are interesting to me like do you know what 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 the thing that made it you know, do you think there was something in the article that made that happen, or it's just the right, right article at the right time? I don't know. Do you know, do you know what what it was that made it take off, or was it just hit someone that shared it? Because I'm always really intrigued by, you know, I'm, the topic's super interesting. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I'm always really intrigued by what makes things go viral. <laughs> um, I think it was a sweet spot of various different factors, some of which I can identify, and some of which are now and will always be unknown to me i think that it was um well it's it, it's interesting to me that it, when i first wrote it it didn't really take you know it just was read by a few people and then it it, it hit a, a kind of moment in the cultural zeitgeist when um after the killing of george floyd where there was this huge outpouring on social media and with that people seeing the shadow side of this kind of uh, allyship where it's good and bad and so I think it kind of hit at the moment where people were already thinking that but it put into words what people were were thinking because I didn't say anything new or particularly exceptional in the article I don't consider myself the world's greatest writer I think it just articulated what people were already thinking so that's a lot of the feedback again is like oh, I was thinking exactly the same thing thank you for putting into words what I was thinking. So I think that was one of the things. And then the other thing is that, and I, this, this is partially how I see myself. So it could be through the filter of how I want to see myself, but also from the feedback of I've got is that I really try and orient from a place of non-judgment. And that's not to say that that's the only way to be, but I think that it is a way to be that makes, your message accessible to a wider range of people so i think the the fact that it had such a widespread appeal was that people didn't feel that i was calling them a bad person or, or a racist but that i was still holding them to account and so i think those are the two big things and then i think it got shared by a few celebrities and and like really quite you know random ones at that i think i had seen lots of people started messaging me saying oh, i've come here oh i know what it was pearl jam who are like a grunge band from the 90s had put it on their website so i think that that <laughs> opened it up to a whole load of other people so i think a mixture of those those things made a soup for virality what does performative allyship actually what is it you know and then some things about what else you could do and maybe we could talk a bit about what else you could do because I think if people want to understand like the, the what performative allyship might look like they could go check your article out 
but like you have some I there's a couple of your recommendations for other things people could do that I've kind of referred people to since as well <laughs> um, oh. yeah particularly the one that's like do something that no one will ever know which I think is really interesting in a moment where everyone it feels like so many people are like scrabbling to do something around this issue it's like do something that no one ever know it's kind of a real it's kind of a challenge you know and I just wonder like you know maybe you could talk a bit about that one or, or one of the others you know one of the other things you suggested yeah absolutely so that one I think actually came from I'd written an uh, like a short essay um, a couple months before which was I think the title was the thing your spiritual practice is probably missing and I had reflected on the idea of service as it shows up in the traditional religions and the idea of service um, when you look into most holy texts like the bible the quran the um, Upanishads, they don't frame service as this altruistic thing where it's about me being a good person and giving to you. And not throughout the text, although that does show up in some ways. It service is really framed as like, um, is it, it's like a high tide lifts all boats, which like my liberation is wrapped up in yours. So if I give service, I am giving service to you and me because we are one. And so I'd written a, a piece about that, about how the idea of service is, is largely missing from modern non-religious interpretations of spirituality um, because of the cult of the shadow of narcissism that I think in many ways defines our, our age. So that was really in my mind anyway. So when I was talking about doing something that no one will ever know it was kind of within the same context it was like um when we're doing things how often are we in the space of doing quote-unquote good things to be able to be seen like a good person a charitable person a woke person and how often are we actually doing it for like level one to genuinely be altruistic and then level two because we know that we cannot be free without other people being free so I, that was my challenge for myself as much as for other people. It's like, sure, hashtag on social media, talk about whatever publicly. But if you're only doing that, then it's, you have to have a conversation with yourself about like, why am I only doing that? Because actually most of the more effective things are not public. And also I think the illusion of social media is that it's kind of made us all feel like we're meant to be public speakers um, or kind of amplifiers. But actually, that is a part of activism, public speaking, rallying other people. But it's only one part, and it's probably not the part that pose, plays to most people's skill sets. So social media kind of lulls us into the place where we're like, oh, okay, my form of activism has to be loud and shouting. It's like, well, that might be some people's path, but it's probably not most of our paths. Um, so that was, that was the challenge. As I was going through, you know, the article, first of all, this article is really powerful. Um, I think it's something that I personally have been feeling for quite some time. And, but, you know, you feel it and brush it off. But you, did, you do say something like, do something that no one uh, will ever know. 
a lot of times you find that people jump into you know whatever it is that's going on in the world and try to voice um their opinion but in, in actual fact really so how do you how do you differentiate that how do you how do you tell or in your own opinion how do you feel about people who just as you said in your own article they just post but to them they feel like you know we are voicing our opinion as well but then at the same time it kind of feels like mm, you're not doing it the right way how is it then the right or the wrong way of doing things yeah that's a really good question um i think the thing that immediately emerges for me is like if there's one thing that the racial justice movement doesn't need more of its opinions it's like we know what the opinions are i think it's very clear that there are different perspectives and and i think that people often feel like myself again included like i have to voice my opinion because it's so important because the truth is most of our opinions are not that important and actually don't have a real tangible impact on the real oppressive systems that are out there so i think for me it's like sure fine to vo- well on some level absolutely people have feelings voice their opinions but we shouldn't all lull ourselves into the belief that the voicing our opinions is doing anything except for if anything moving adding more noise and i think for me the thing that i work to is like back it up with action whatever that looks like and um, if you have an opinion back it up with action and i think that a lot of people put so much energy into voicing their opinion trying to convince other people that they're wrong trying to show how good they are that people have no energy left for to actually take action in their own sphere of influence in their own communities which is really i think where the change happens rather than on this kind of like quite vague and universal platform of social media where you're probably really not going to impact anyone's mind or change with your opinion um that's kind of how i would how i would think of it yeah and uh is in it was in one thing that's interesting to me about social media as well because it shows you like people that you like more and maybe Ziada, you know more about this than I do I think but because it, it shows you more of what you like <laughs> it's also showing you probably people that are like you more right so you're you're kind of you end up in this weird like you say um holiday like this this space where your your opinions actually quite often get reinforced by what you see on social media because you're seeing like the people that are like you that you've liked and there's this kind of self-fulfilling thing about it so that probably actually makes you less likely to be persuading anyone else of anything because of the way the algorithms work and you can do all that and still not actually as you say, like be doing anything different in your actual life. And for me, like I think a lot about um, how does how does like racial justice um, show up in like our actual relationships to each other and what we, you know, how we treat one another like day to day. And I think that's where it gets harder, you know, and it gets more complicated and it gets sticky sometimes. Um, and I know, Holiday, that since the article, you've been posting lots of other really useful stuff. And I saw you um, sharing around, like, 
um, inviting people into more dialogue and discussion and debate. And I think that's really interesting because a lot of the social media stuff is very much like, here's an opinion, you know, like it or, or, or disagree with it in a kind of very um, binary way. Mm-hmm. So I wondered if you could say a bit more about how you think like dialogue and discussion and I, I can't remember if those are the words you used, but, um, but, but something like that um, can sort of operate in this space of, of racial justice. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I used the word, I said dialogue and, and debate, I think, in, my, in their post. And okay. I, I, I am often very sad about the way that the education system teaches us to think because I think it teaches us to think only critically. So I remember when I was um, at school, it was like everything was about trying to tear apart the argument or trying to find the hole in the logic. And, and, I, and I think that's then reflected in so many of our institutions, like to even just watch something like, prime minister's question time or anything like that it's all so combative the aim is to win um it's about two sides fighting a corner to win and i noticed the same in my work with organizations like the the lean towards conflict is so strong because that's seen as the way that we get to get to like higher ideas i think in in this country and, and probably in, in many others i i don't know um and i think that what that does is it puts us constantly in the space of trying to defend our position and trying to win over and beat the other side which means that neither side grows or learns because you're both in this static place just trying to hold on to that place Whereas what I see is a much more fruitful way of approaching conversation is to try seek to find higher ground together. And the way that you both do that is by both challenging your ideas and molding your ideas and, and expanding your perspective so that both of you reach a higher ground together and you create something new rather than just holding on to your original place. And I, and I think that this is really alive in the conversations about race and, and critical race theory because more, more than I, I mean most topics we frame racism and race in morality good people bad people ignorant people not um, woke people conservative liberals and I think it's really really dangerous because um, because nobody sees themselves as an immoral bad person really I don't think many people. So when we're coming from this place of I'm good, I'm moral, you're bad, you're immoral, we're, we're stuck. We can't go anywhere. So I'm really, really um, passionate about in anti-racism, us not recreating the same systems of violence that define racism, which are morality versus immorality, good versus bad, better versus worse. So um that's a, that's kind of like a, a thing that I'm kind of I'm determined to make sure I bring into every conversation about about race because I'm very worried to to be honest about the intolerance and the judgment and the combativeness that I see entering conversations of anti-racism that are deemed to be helpful but that I, I really don't think are 
Super, super interesting. And I, uh, I'm interested in a couple of things, like as a, from, as from the perspective of a white woman, having had some conversations with, you know, friends who are also white women mostly recently and talked about, you know, what does it mean to like accept and kind of try and have some lightness around the fact that probably as a white person living in this moment in history you're going to make mistakes that could be described as racist mm. and have some lightness around that not that it's it not to say oh it's okay not that but to accept that like it's not that you're a good person and them over there those other races that you read about somewhere you know or people you know or whoever it is you're judging that they they're bad and then you're going to define yourself as one of the good ones what does it actually mean to really take on the fact that okay well if I'm if I'm going to accept that sometimes I might not be one of the good ones or what or maybe there's no such thing as the good ones right then then what does it mean to accept that okay that means some things I do might be might might be might be definable as racist and that that the way through is to kind of be with that understand that try to do better that's all you know that's all important but not to be constantly kind of defining yourself as a good one on one side of a battle which I think is part of what you're saying right yeah and what like what you say I think that where you said like maybe there are no good ones I think that's where I orient I'm like there are no good ones yeah or bad ones there's evolution of, of thought, um, but no good ones, no bad ones. And I actually think it would be very, very useful for, for white people in this generation to even just say, okay, this whole thing is exploding now. And actually the burden that we're going to have to bear as white people in this generation is just to say, okay, well, we're never going to be good enough. And that's okay. That's the burden that we'll, we'll, we'll bear um, and that we all have a burden to bear. And that realistically that burden is significantly less than the burden that people of color are facing so I, I think that would actually be a very, very useful thing to almost throw your hands up in the air and be like yeah it's never going to be good enough but I'm going to keep going anyway yeah and I think there's a there's some sort of function of the way that debates about this have been and the way that we've kind of perpetuated whiteness and white supremacy that's actually been about sort of telling ourselves we're one of the good ones and then not noticing all the things we do that up, uphold the system so it's actually a really you know it's like kind of letting go of that like you say and then actually stepping into that place which I, I like the way you put it it's like you know it's nowhere near as much of a burden as you know being someone who experiences racism and mm. and so actually you know accepting that you know I'm never going to be good enough that could that you know that that's actually a lesser burden to carry that's a flip I think in how most white people that I know I think have been thinking about race I think it's a yeah I, I think it's a really and 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 something that yeah feels really feels also really re, could be really generative in a way yeah 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 for sure um so I also um heard you sharing something about and this is you know about anger and the kind of you know legitimate anger about racism and I think it kind of connects to what we were just saying and I, I don't know if you want to share a bit about that but um I, I think what you had shared was 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 also talking a bit about what we've just said but but saying you know like there's gonna be anger and we kind of need to 
to be ready to ready to let that anger be present rather than trying to shut it down I don't know if I've quoted you correctly though <laughs> yeah absolutely no that's that is it yeah and um, what I what I feel is that I very much look at this journey towards a racially just world as an intergenerational program I absolutely don't think that it is something that will be from where we are now completed within our lifetime and I and I think it's not helpful for us to view it in that way and so for me I, I see like well, what's the need that is being fulfilled right now or what's being thrown up to be healed right now and I think one of the things that's being thrown up is that there's been this clearing of space for black people particularly to say I'm really fucking angry about yeah. racism and about what I've experienced and about what my ancestors have experienced. And for the first time, there are so many ears willing to listen. And because that space has been cleared, I think there will be an explosion of, of rage and, and, and rage rooted in grief. Mm-hmm. Um, I know my, for myself, like when the, when the, when the kind of, big awakening happened I suddenly had all of these feelings of anger towards my white friends about when they haven't stood up when they've seen racism when they haven't you know thought about what it might be like to be me um, and I felt really angry with them and I was able to express that in kind of a, uh, sometimes it was healthy and constructive other times it wasn't healthy and constructive mm-hmm. and or it was probably constructive and healthy but just didn't feel good maybe that's a better way maybe it was all healthy and constructive um, and I think what I what I believe is that one of the ways that white people and I think because I, I think it's important as well in this moment to to see that actually a lot of what is happening being talked about now is anti-black racism we're lumping it into racism in general yeah but I, I think a lot of what's being talked about is anti-black racism I mean my my mum is Indian so I'm half black half Indian and there is a huge amount of racism in the Indian community in my family on this side so so I think it's important to not just say well, white people but in the context of anti-black racism non-black non-black people all included so um I think uh, I think one of the things that non-black people can do to be allies to black people is to be able to hold that space for that rage to uh, be processed without taking it personally without getting defensive just understanding that this is something that needs to happen i'm also aware that most people are in no way resourced to do that um to, to hold space for things that are much less complex and much less deep than that so I think probably my call to action in that sense was like, if you are someone who is resourced to do that, if you have done personal transformation work that allows you to hold space for others, then maybe this is one of the roles that you can play in your, in your allyship. Um, I think if everyone could do that, it would be amazing, but I don't think that there is the level of consciousness in the broader global community yet, but um, I definitely think it's something that should be involved in the work. I saw someone say that anti-racism shouldn't be personal development work for white people. And I actually agree with that. I also think that 
personal development work for white people allows people to actually be anti-racist. So I don't think it's an either or situation. There is a tendency, for, for instance, there's a, you know, a global outcry of anything, any situation, and there's this global outcry where it almost like requires everyone you know, to, to voice or talk about it or be part of that conversation. But there are people um, who might not be as engaging um, into that conversation. And you find that, you know, the, the, the part that is more engaged in the conversation starts judging the other person for not being part of the con- conversation. That to me, sometimes it's a, it's a little bit confusing because I feel like now aren't you being judgmental of how I should feel about a situation? I don't know. What's your opinion about that? I would totally agree with you. I'm personally not um, in favour of people shaming other people for not doing enough. I don't think it's helpful because, I, I mean, there's no reliable sociological or psychological study that says that shame is a good and sustainable um, motivator for, for action. So I don't think it's effective to shame people. I also don't think it's fair because there are there are many global crises. There are many crises that are happening. I think they're all connected. I think they're all part of the same, same issue. But if any of us were to truly look at ourselves, we, we're not doing, quote unquote, enough for everything. Um, so I, I think it's very dangerous to look at other people and say oh you're not doing enough you're not engaged because we could look at ourselves and say well I'm not doing enough I'm not engaged I think it's much more wise for us to use our energy to focus on ourselves um, and what we're doing and where our contribution is and I also think it's um uh I also agree with you in that sense of so many of these um these societal issues are rooted in people having power, needing to have power over someone else, judging people, denigrating people. So we don't want to bring those methods into the new world that we're trying to create. Um, And the other thing for me is like, it's inevitable that people are gonna drop off in energy. Um, And that's okay, because I think what these moments do is create big seismic shifts that kind of shunt everybody along a huge amount. And then like the, there's like an earthquake and then the pieces are scattered and then those who are still engaged will take the time to rebuild, uh, rebuild a kind of new step. Um, but, but not everyone's going to be in that rebuilding. So I almost see it's like we're building a staircase or something like that. And occasionally we have a big earthquake that will shake up a whole load of rubble and everyone gets moved. But then there are a few people who are left over to kind of build the next step. And, and I think that that's, we have to be realistic about that and, and be okay with that. And, divert our energy from shaming the people who are now doing something else to just continuing to to build. Oh, I love that holiday. That's that, that those feel like were really wise words. And um with all this wisdom that you've been bringing forth in this moment, um, from your article and all the stuff you've, you've shared with us and you've been continuing to share online, I'm wondering like what's the what's been like the personal impact of having an article go viral I imagine like lots of people therefore then engaging with you um 
what's what's that been like for you on a personal like day-to-day level and how have you cared for yourself looked after yourself supported yourself with that yeah um so the short answer would be it's been very difficult and I don't think I've done a very good job of caring for myself or supporting myself to be honest um I think it's been it's incredibly for me anyway I don't know how it would be for other people but for me it's been incredibly difficult to have your views and your words looked at under a microscope for me particularly because I one of the ways I um seek to bring my work forward into the world is as a like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a researcher by nature so I'm always looking for new information to disprove what I've thought to evolve what I've thought that's my whole way of orienting in the world so for me when I put something out it's like well this is what I thought with the, to the best of my ability at that time um, and I totally expect that that will evolve I want that to evolve Um, But I think that the kind of public discourse doesn't really allow for much evolution. It wants people to put their stake in the ground and then stay with that stake in the ground. So I found that very challenging and very surprising because it's not something I'd experienced before. Um, So that's been tough. And to be able to kind of maintain the integrity of, of, of being like, it's okay to be exploring ideas. Um, and to be getting things wrong and to be evolving, but really in an environment that does not support that because it wants simplicity rather than complexity. Um, so that's been tough. I think what's also been really tough is receiving criticism, like the two opposite types of criticism. So I might put something out and some, I mean, t- to be fair, like 97% of responses will be supportive, but then the 3% that are criti- critical, it will be like half will be saying you're being racist against white people and the other half will be saying you're being way too nice to white people so it's like it's very it's very it's very strange i think it's interesting that you know in whatever the criticism it's normally centering the white experience which is problematic in in itself um but i think that's in some ways been liberating because you know that you can never win everyone's hearts and minds and actually that's not that's not the point um, and then in terms of kind of self-care, I've not been good at it. And I think that's because of the pace at which this happened. And I, I imagine anyone who's experienced a kind of moment of virality, I, 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 would, I would imagine maybe empathises with because it just happens so quickly out of nowhere. There's no build-up. It's just from zero to 100. And that's a very hard thing to prepare for. And also being seven months pregnant, I think probably hasn't made it easier. Um, which I am so I think that the way I'm kind of seeing it is we go through waves and sometimes your wave is like okay I've got everything in order I'm taking care of myself and I'm feeling good and then sometimes your wave is like do you know what that's all out the window and I'm just here to do this one thing and that's okay and I think probably the purpose that I was here to serve in this last couple of months was to bring forward these ideas and uh and, and it wasn't really about me. It was about whatever greater purpose that was looking to serve. And I've kind of become a bit of a, uh, what's the word? A uh, casualty of it. And that's probably okay for a couple of months. And then now I need to work out how I hold it more in balance. 
Right. And there were, I think in my experience, there are always these moments where it's like we can't quite hold that balance and like what matters is somehow that being able to get it get know that it needs to come back <laughs> and find your way there you know <laughs> so yeah I, I think I mean she said it and seriously I I am relating so much to her article um it's unbelievable because it's some of the things that I've been seeing um especially online um people voicing things but then you know you completely feel like okay why are you voicing if you know you actually don't mean it or you're not for the movement or are you doing it just to get attention or whatever it is so I've asked myself those questions so many times but it's just you brush it off and you don't you know you don't really take action towards that so it's really it's a really an amazing article thank you so much that's really kind thank you holiday for being with us today and really enjoyed talking with you also and um we will share obviously the links to your article and stuff and are there places where people can find you online yeah Yeah, the best place to find me is is instagram that's the channel i'm mostly using um but then yeah Mm -hmm. on youtube and um my website and your handle on instagram is holiday Phillips. i'm actually very lucky that i have that handle across all platforms because it's such a rare name so you always find me with holiday Phillips. cool and um and your website tell us tell us what that is for people listening yeah holidayphillips.com cool okay <laughs> just checking <Yeah. laughs> so i wish you all the best with Absolutely. your work and your the birth of your child coming soon (laughs) and the rest of your pregnancy and uh, yeah thank you for being with us today thank you both for having me and our theme tune over and over was written and performed by eleanor brown who you can find at eleanorbrownmusic.com